So good evening everyone, um, so that was a kind of brief introduction, I thought I'd introduce myself, so I'm Katie, if you know Andrew and Ruth, and that's my family over there, I'm the middleest daughter, Emily's the youngest daughter, big sisters in Worcester, as a teacher doing very well, um, so for those of you who don't know who I am, I grew up in this church, I was dedicated in this church, I was baptised in this church, and I came here for the first 19 years of my life, I then moved to New Zealand, you know, casually halfway across the world, and I was part of Youth with a Mission or YWAM for nine months, which was amazing. And then I moved to Bristol, where I remain at Fish Ponds Baptist Church, where last year I was the intern, and this year I am the minister in training, which makes me sound very official, which, well, that's up to you to interpret, really. Um, so yeah, tonight I thought I'd go for an easy one. Parable of the unjust steward. I thought, right, okay, I'll explain to you my motivations because I enjoy being challenged and I enjoy doing challenging verses. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll really push myself out of that boat and do this parable. And then I read it this week and I went, why? Why did I do this to myself? So I've got some interesting interpretations, hopefully not quite heresy, but we will see. So hopefully it will be all right. So I'm just going to read it to you again, but I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of the New King James, but for the purpose that I will explain afterwards, it's a very good version for this. And thank you, Leslie, for beautifully reading. I'll just quickly go through it again. So he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man wasted his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am too ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Probably a few typos there. I did this very quickly. <laughs> so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, right, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Um, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, for the sons of this world are more shrewd with their generation than the sons of light. Um, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and who, he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. So I like this version because of the word mammon because I've never heard that word before until I read this version, and I only read it because I read the wrong version. Um, but actually, it's very helpful, because Mammon is wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. So in some translation, it's unrighteous wealth. In that translation, I believe it was worldly wealth. So in here, it's Mammon, which I think captures it quite well. So remember the definition, please. Thank you. Amen. Um, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you what is your own? It's a very confusing version, I have to say. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. 
say what's going on here, please. Thank you. I thought I was hoping this week to read a few commentaries to kind of get a bit of an idea of what's going on. And unfortunately, I did not, which I should have. So I apologize. And it is a very, very confusing passage because you think surely God is not. No, Jesus is not recommending that we use our mammon to get friends because like surely mammon's bad and we shouldn't ever use mammon at all. So it's just a very confusing passage. So when we look at the steward, um, we can look at him and think, you know, he was commended by his master for being shrewd. So was he a good guy or was he a bit of an idiot? I think personally, if I had a manager who sold, you know, people owed me a certain amount and he took less for it, I don't think I'd be that impressed. I'd be a bit annoyed because I was like, yeah, but they owed me £100 and you've just given me 50 Like, where's the rest, hon? So I think it's just quite confusing. And, yeah, so this guy, he's not a very good manager. You know, he is about to be fired. He does something that, personally, I don't think is that smart. And then he gets commended. And it's just all very confusing. And obviously, he's just not a great businessman because a good businessman would get what was owed to him, the full amount of what was owed to him. But I think another way of looking at this that kind of takes it outside of the story is looking at Jesus. You know, we have a debt of sin that we don't pay because he took it on the cross. And actually, Jesus suffered a humiliating and an extremely painful death for us because we mess up, because we sin, And he forgives us when we don't deserve it. If we're perfectly honest, none of us deserve forgiveness. And yet he still went on that cross and he still became fully man. He became a baby of all things, not this mighty warrior person. He became a baby and took all our our debts that we owed. So where the good, well, the bad manager, he forgave the debt by, you know, he forgave like half maybe, didn't he? But Jesus has forgiven all of our debt. And what did he get in return? Not a right lot, let's be honest. I mean, who, who on earth would do that? Would you? Let's say, you, you know, you know prisoners in the prison and you decide, you know what? I'm going to take the place of one of these people who have murdered people. You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't put yourself in prison so that they could be free because they don't deserve to be free. And we don't deserve to be free if we're perfectly honest. And yet he still set us free. So Jesus, the ultimate fool. Maybe. Well, no, no, he's not. He's very nice. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, don't say, I'm not heretical. Um, so unrighteous wealth. Um, the, the images I use are very American. I apologize. Picture a 10 pounds, okay? Not a dollar. Um, so mammon, unrighteous wealth. So this is what the story kind of keys in on, that whole unrighteous wealth so what what kind of does that mean so if we pick apart the unrighteous so when you're righteous you have right standing with god so unrighteous is when your wealth is not right standing with god when actually your wealth it's not glorifying god it's it's um a separate thing and actually mammon could be any any wealth that you place above god any wealth that you think i earned that that's mine possibly and actually yeah and it's not just money it's the things that we own you know how easily would you give away your possessions how easily would you give away your house how easily would you give away your car these are the things that we have that we own that we do tend to make our own 
And that's what unrighteous wealth is or what I believe that it means here. And I think this story poses a quite interesting question to us. And that is, who do we serve or whom do we serve? You know, we, we are called to serve God and to serve God alone. But do we? And I know that actually we live in such a consumerist society, don't we? I mean, your entire life is about what you have. People judge you by the clothes that you wear and the shoes you've got on your feet and how much you earn in your salary if you've got a jazzy enough car. That's what people judge us on. And actually, if you look at adverts, you're never happy unless you have this product. If you look at particularly like makeup, it's like you're ugly unless you have this mascara or we are taught day in, day out that our worth is what we have and our, our identity is what we own. And actually, I believe that in this story, God is challenging that because we do find value in it. If we're perfectly honest, wealth is something that just has a hold on us and it often does because we're anxious about paying the next bill or we're worried about you know, whether the money's going to come in for that new car or that repair. And it's something that possibly we worship we worship the stuff that we own. We worship the money that we get in each month because it's ours and we earned it and it's mine. Yes, I can go and buy that outfit or yes, I can go and buy that new coffee machine or whatever. And that's what we start making money. And actually, you know, when you read through the Old Testament, you read about these idiot Israelites and their stupid idols. You know, they worship a golden bull and you think... What planet do you live on? And then they worship like Molech and they worship all these dodgy gods. And we're so quick to judge them. But we do exactly the same. It just looks slightly different if we're honest. We worship wealth. We worship what we have. We even worship the whole religiosity of church sometimes rather than God. And actually anything that is above God is just not okay. And I want to ask you, Has money become an idol in your life? Has wealth become an idol? Have the things that you've owned, are you putting them above God? Are you trusting in them more than you are trusting in God? And it's a challenge to us all, to say the least. And then the passage goes on to say, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, when I was with YWAM, we went on outreach to Papua New Guinea, And um, to kind of, we do a lot of open airs where we'd kind of show up at a marketplace and kind of try and rowdy up a crowd so that we could then share a talk or, you know, share God and pray for people and that. And to kind of gather a crowd, we learnt these dramas, right? And they were really fun. They were called skits because it's American and I call them dramas, but they were skits. And um, we had this one skit that was so fun and I was always the bad master because I was a very good bad master and because I was the only British people and British people do sound slightly more evil than Americans so in this skit you'd have this lovely master this lovely lovely person we had a woman a girl on our team called Monique and she was the gentlest, sweetest American I've ever met in my life. And she was always the good master. Then I was always the bad master, you see. And then you'd have this servant and this slave in the middle. So there'd be three of us up there. So it would start with a good master going, oh, slave, slave, hi, yeah, oh, oh, I'm a bit parched. Do you mind getting me some water? Oh, thank you so much, you're amazing. And so then the slave would go and get water and give it to the good master. Then the bad master would go, slave, oi, you there, I'm thirsty, get me water. 
and then they'd go and take the water from the good master and give it to the bad master, and they'd be like, oh, you stupid sod, go away. And then the good master would be like, oh, hey, slave high, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm not wearing any shoes. I could probably do with some shoes. Do you mind getting me some shoes? And the slave would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, put some shoes, put it on their feet, and then the bad master would go, slave, oi, come here. Yep, yeah, you, yep. Yeah. Look, what's wrong with these? No shoes. Get me shoes. And it would kind of go back and forth and back and forth like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun because I got to be mean where I usually am not allowed to be mean because I'm a good Christian. And, <laughs> and eventually the, the good master would be going, slave, slave. The bad master would be going, slave, slave, come here. And they'd get so confused and fall to the ground because they didn't know who to go to. And it was a really fun and a really powerful skit, actually. And I I didn't actually know that it was referring to this verse, but I think it's a really helpful illustration because this poor, poor slave was stuck in the middle of these, you know, lovely, lovely master and this horrid, demanding nightmare of a master. And actually it's the same with God and money. God is obviously the nice master, if you hadn't already got that. And then money's the kind of bad master that maybe at first, is tempting maybe at first is attractive and you're like oh yeah you know have those Versace jeans or whatever but eventually it turns sour and eventually they control your life and you're stuck on that fence and you just don't quite know where to go um and so yeah we know we know in our hearts we know in our heads that we should serve God and God alone but whether that's reality is a whole nother thing And when you look at your week, you you know, you might come to a church and be the most amazing worshipper. You might come to church and be like, yeah, I'm a great Christian. And your week might be completely separate. And actually, we need to be hyper aware of what we are putting above God in our lives. And if that is money, then we need to repent of it. And I mean, I'm guilty of this. And sometimes we just need to check our hearts and our motivations between, you know, what what we're doing with our wealth and, and... that kind of a thing. So I found a wonderful quote by C.S. Lewis. We love C.S. Lewis, don't we? And um, I, I found this this afternoon, actually, and I thought, yes, yes, that captures it. Because if we're honest, I mean, I know that Creech, we're a very middle-class church, really. And this quote says, one of the dangers of having a lot of money, which we do, we're all quite affluent here, is that you might be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realise your need of God. And it's interesting, because when, when I was in Papua New Guinea, when I was in Indonesia, I had no control, I had no say on anything. I just was there. You know, whether I had dinner, whether I had lunch, I had no say what village we went to, whether there'd be chairs or you'd sit on the floor with the ants climbing up your skirt, no say in the matter. And I had to trust God, and actually... Amazingly, God answered every single one of my prayers, even when it was, Lord, I really crave chicken. And then we'd get given chicken for dinner, which was amazing. And since I've come back to England and since I've come back, you know, I actually can go through my whole day without talking to God. And I can go through my whole day without thinking about God because, you know, I like to plan what I'm going to do. I can plan what I do. I know if I've got enough money to get groceries. I know what groceries I've had. And there is actually very little wiggle room for God to move. And maybe you guys relate to that. I mean, hopefully you do otherwise. (laughs) You know, 
what am I saying? But it's kind of, we don't always allow God to provide for us because we've got enough. And I want to challenge you that, you know, do you let God provide for you? Do you you give away that bit more? And then when you might not have enough to cover the bills, you might be surprised by what God can do. And a bit of a testimony for this is that I have come on as the minister in training and the church can't afford to pay me. And I was so anxious before I started because I thought, gosh, like, how am I going to survive? I had nowhere to live. I had, I mean, I had my amazing family, bank of mum and dad. Um, but more than that, I just was like, what am I going to do? And in, in the few months before I started as minister in training, God provided a room for me that I don't pay for. So I lived there for free. And actually, God has blessed me in abundance with provision from different supporters that I've got. And I am so blessed. But that initial anxiousness was, I look back and I think, you idiot, of course God was going to provide. But in the moment, it is so stressful. Having to allow God to provide is so humbling. Because I'd love to be paid. I'd love to have a salary. I'd love to have a manse. But that's not what God had for me. And actually, that is sometimes the hardest part. And now I'm going to share with you one of my favorite testimonies from my outreach phase. And you will understand in a minute why it is my favorite about God's provision. So me and my team had just spent two and a half months sleeping on the floor with cockroaches, sharing beds with cockroaches in the heat, in Papua New Guinea, in church floors, in shared rooms. Basically, it was interesting. No, it was wonderful, but yeah, interesting. I'd I'd put my shoes on in the morning and cockroaches would come out and it'd be like, why am I doing this? And one of my favorite stories is that, so we'd come to the end of this time and we got on our flight to go back to New Zealand. I thought, oh, back to normal society because I love Papua New Guineans and Indonesian, but they're not quite like us. And they're wonderful, but not quite like us. And I thought, oh, I'm going back to New Zealand, back to normality. And on the flight home, our plane turned around. And God went to me, Katie, this is one of the surprises I've got for you. And I went, I don't want to sleep in Brisbane Airport again. Because I don't know if any of you have been to Brisbane Airport, but they play music the entire night. So while you're trying to go to sleep, there's hee hee, Michael Jackson, and I just, I had two overnights in Brisbane and I did not sleep at all. And as someone who was obsessed with sleep, was not a fan. So I went to God, I went, if I'm sleeping in Brisbane Airport again, I'm going to scream. It's not happening. And so the flight had turned around, we landed in Brisbane, and my wonderful friend Monique that I mentioned earlier, who was the nice, lovely, oh, Monique, she, she was like, guys, we had a prophetic couple come to YWAM and they wrote me this note. They, they wrote it down and they gave it to me because they felt that God said they should. And it says that our flight was cancelled and we were put in a five-star hotel and given money for food. And I went, no, that's not going to happen. Manage your expectations. We're going to sleep in Brisbane Airport again. And she was like, oh, no, maybe God will put us in a five-star hotel. And I was like, no, it's not going to happen. No way. So we queued up for a good few hours to get sorted for what was going to happen overnight. And we got on the bus and we drove into the centre of Brisbane and it stopped outside of the fanciest hotel I have ever seen in my life. Now, can I just explain the situation to you? I had not washed my hair for two and a half months. 
It was disgusting and slick. I was in hippie trousers with holes in them, and I was in a jumper that I found in a charity shop in Papua New Guinea that I paid about 50p for. So you can imagine the state of us. We all looked a bit kind of, you know, and we wandered into the fanciest hotel I've ever seen in my life. It even had, you know, those railing bag carriers, you know, the fancy ones you see in films. It had one of those, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? So we queued up for the queue, and I thought, I, I, doubt, I doubt they'll have a room for us. Like, it was kind of proms evening or something, so there were people in gowns, and there were makeup artists coming into the hotel, you know. Everyone was very fancy, and there were us just like... So we queued up, and we got to the front, and the lead, my leaders um, who were in charge of the outreach spent ages talking to these people, and we were a bit like, oh, gosh, we're going to have to go back to the airport. Ugh. And then they came to us, and they said... Guys, there's been a bit of a glitch on the computer system. I thought, great, a room between four of us. And they said, um, we've all got individual rooms, double-bedded, individual rooms on one of the busiest nights in Brisbane. And I was like, oh, I have not been alone for two and a half months. And as an introvert, not being alone for two and a half months had made me go slightly crazy because you are constantly with people. And I do, I do need my me time, you know. And I hope a few of you relate to that. Any introverts in the room? No? Oh, okay. All right, fine, Mr. Extrovert. But, um, so then we had individual rooms. I thought, oh, I can be alone. And then oh, it gets better. They gave us $50 for food. Oh, and the restaurant was lush, like lush. And I had a salad. And I had not eaten salad. If that sounds a bit sad, but I had not eaten salad in so long. It had an egg on it. I didn't know why there was an egg on my salad, but I was like, okay, whatever, fancy hotel and all that. So I sat in this fancy hotel's restaurant with my greasy hair and my looking slightly be- kind of rah, eating a salad with all these people in prom dresses coming through looking fabulous. And I was just like, oh, God, you are so good. And all of us, all of us knew, we knew it was from God. We knew that actually the plane had not turned around for a good reason. I promise you, no one told us why the plane had turned around. It was kind of like, oh, it can't be over water. It was a stupid reason. And I knew it was God who possibly hadn't turned the plane around, but he had put us up in a fancy hotel, a room each. I literally had a shower for about two hours just because I could, because I'd been using buckets for two months. There's only so much you can wash with a bucket. And, oh, I was alone in a room. There was a TV. There was internet. And it was amazing. And we were all, for the whole evening, in utter awe of God. Because we thought we knew it was God spoiling us, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. We knew it was from God. And it wasn't because of anything we'd done, because actually, if we're perfectly honest, we were quite useless. But it's because God is a God who loves to spoil us when we let him because we had no control in this situation and yet God still managed to bless us and because of that blessing we were able to turn it into worship to God so that's kind of the point I want to make is that actually our wealth our, 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 our possessions our money we can use it to worship God and actually it is a privilege you know everything that we have is a gift from God the very breath that we breathe is a gift from God. And actually, we can turn everything our lives into an act of worship. 
And generosity is worship to God, you know. It's that, we always hear that famous story, don't we, of, you know, the rich man who gave like a couple of coins and then a widow who gave everything that she owned. And we look at churches and we think, oh, it's high, that's 10%. And this woman gave 100%. And I think we need to be challenged on our giving and challenged on our generosity. Because through generosity, we then give room to bless us. Now, I'm not saying give away all your money because you've got to be sensible. Like, there is sense in it, and God has already blessed you with money. But actually challenging yourself to give more than you have, to, to actually be more generous than you have the ability to be, as this woman did. She gave everything that she had, 100%. And actually, God has given us amazing gifts. I mean, this world is beautiful. You know, God has blessed us in abundance. And we, again, like with the Brisbane story, we can turn it back into worship and be like, God, thank you so much that I have breath. Thank you so much that I have legs. Thank you so much that I can see, that I can hear, that I can praise you, God. Thank you so much for all the monetary blessings that you've given us. And it's really interesting because I had teaching on, like, generosity and worshipping God in one of my lectures. And I was so challenged because it kind of made me think in a new way. Instead of looking at my bank account as mine, rather than looking at my savings as mine, look at them as if they're God's. And actually, rather than saying, I want this, say, God, how do you want to spend your money? Because he's the one who gave it to you. And we think we've worked hard and earned it, but actually God has given us all the good things that we have. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and with all of your wealth and turn it into a worship of God because he is so worthy of every single aspect of your life. And I want to challenge you that actually if there is an aspect of your life that you don't bring to God or you struggle with or, you know, it's those hidden things, isn't it, that we're like, oh, God doesn't see that, you know, like Jonah when he tries to run away. And I challenge you to really look at the the different aspects of your life. Look at your wealth. Look at what you own and wonder to yourself, could I give this away? Do I believe that this belongs to God? And if it doesn't, pray that God will teach you how to look at that way because it's not easy. You know, for example, we had teaching on generosity and this woman said, oh, I had this really nice bag and I said, whoever complimented it next, I'd give it to. And then someone at the end of the lecture said, Katie, would you give away your new shiny boots if someone complimented them? And I went, no. No, I would not. Are you kidding me? These are gorgeous. They're mine. But actually, it's things like that, that God won't ask us to give everything away. He's not that kind of a God. But if you're not willing to in your heart, what, you know, what's in your heart and how are you looking at the stuff that you have in, in a godly way or in a selfish way? So that's my challenge to you. So I'm going to end in prayer. Um, and just, yeah, I'd like you to just be challenged this week to look at what you have in a new light, maybe. So gracious, loving God, we thank you that everything that we have is because of you. We thank you for the breath that you gave us, Lord. We thank you for the blessings of wealth and the affluence that you have given this church and each member of this church, Lord. I pray that we can use it to glorify your name and not to glorify ourselves, Lord, that we can use it to as an act of worship, that we will worship you, God, in our generosity, that you will challenge us to worship you in every single aspect of our life, no matter what we're ashamed of, no matter what we're guilty of, Lord, and we just commend it into your hands. We are selfish beings, Lord, and we just repent of that right now. We just 
want to turn away from that selfishness and turn to you, God. So teach us how to let you provide for us, Lord. Show us who you are as God provider and may we learn you in a new way, Lord, as we allow you to provide for us and look after us, God, because you are an amazing father and you give us good gifts, Lord, and you long to look after us and you long to take care of us. Help us to really understand that and be challenged in our wealth and to be challenged who our master is, Lord, whether it's you or whether it's money or whether it's ourselves, Lord. Just challenge us to put you above every other thing in our lives and always bring worship unto your name. Amen.